Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I know this is going to sound crazy as hell, but... I think my pillow has something living inside of it. I'm aware that is the strangest thing to say, but I don't really have any other way to explain what I've experienced to this point. This all started a while ago on a typical school night. Nothing was really out of the ordinary, save for some extra difficult homework. I had prepared for bed, and as I lay down to sleep, I swore I could hear someone whispering to my immediate left. In response, I jumped out of bed trying to determine who was in my room. But almost as soon as I sat up, the whispering stopped. I turned on my light to search my room for what woke me, but it turned nothing. Even my neighbor, who was usually obnoxious late into the night, was unusually quiet. I shrugged it off as a drowsy audio hallucination and tried to sleep, but as soon as my head hit the pillow, I heard the voice again. This prompted a thorough search of the entire apartment. But again, my efforts turned up nothing. For the third time, I tried to sleep, and for the third time, I could clearly hear the whispering. But this time, I noticed something different. As I put my head back down on the pillow, the voice grew louder. At that point, I realized that the voice wasn't just coming from the house. It was coming from my pillow. Looking back at it, I absolutely should have put the pillow in the dumpster as soon as I heard a damn voice coming from it, but... I was curious. Some part of me wanted to know what it had to say. I've always been interested in the macabre, and it seemed too interesting to just give up on. But the voice told me such awful things. It detailed stories of murder, violence beyond anything I could have imagined. It was sickening. But I just couldn't seem to break away from it. I feel ashamed to admit it, but I was enthralled by the stories. I must have spent hours listening to it speak. I think it was around 3 a.m. that I was ready to throw the pillow in the closet and call it a night, but before I lifted my head up, it told me that I had one more secret for the night. It said to me that that day at school, I would see something truly horrible. Something that would burn an image into my mind that I would never be able to erase. And then... It was silent. I didn't get much sleep for the rest of the night. Luckily, I had class at 10am, and with a mixture of coffee and Adderall, I was able to drag myself out of bed and make my way to the lecture. The day started off normal. I only had two classes, and as I made my way out of the second class to go home, I had all but forgotten what the voice said to me. Honestly, I was concerned with sleep more than anything. But as I walked toward my car, 
I heard a scream pierce the serenity of my small college. Two people were fighting viciously in the parking lot. A petite kid no taller than 5'6 was fighting for his life against a man who appeared to be closer to 6'4", 230. The bigger man fought with the rage and desperation of someone truly determined to kill his opponent. Two other students raced toward them and tried to subdue the large man. Still, he shook them off with ease and began bashing the smaller boy's head into the concrete and pulling at his neck as if he was trying to tear it from his shoulders. I forced myself out of the shock of the moment and jumped to help the two others. Together, we managed to hold the large man off just enough for a group of people to subdue him completely and call 911. Only after the police and ambulance arrived did I get a look at the boy's unmoving body. His skull had punctured through the skin, and it appeared as though brain matter was among the large pool of blood collecting on the concrete. Teeth littered the ground, and his neck looked twisted to a disgusting degree. The voice was right. It's an image I'll never forget. The boy was rushed to the hospital, and from the rumors around school, he somehow survived. Whatever that was worth. I mean, what kind of life does he leave now that he lives in a vegetative state? It's for the attacker, he apparently never even knew the boy. I'm not even sure he was a student. Rumors bagged the two as mild acquaintances at best, but I'm not sure I believe that. How could someone have that kind of hate towards someone they barely know? It just doesn't make any sense in my mind. Honestly, the whole thing messed me up for a few days. I wanted answers so badly. Did the voice living in my pillow actually know the future, or was this just a strange coincidence? As much as I wanted to believe it was a lucky guess, my gut told me that simply wasn't true. When I got home, I went for the pillow in my closet and tried to listen to the voice, but it remained silent. Thinking that maybe the voice only spoke up at night, I waited until I was ready for bed, but still, I heard nothing. Over the next few days, I tried to listen to it, but it didn't say a word. During this time, I was skipping class, partially for my own mental health and partially in hopes that I'd catch the voice at some point. However, it wasn't until Sunday of the following week that things picked up again. Before returning to class, I opted to head to bed early, and I finally heard it. A little caught off guard, I popped up to examine my pillow. The voice greeted me again, but in its return it seemed... louder. I no longer needed to be lying directly on top of it to hear it. It reiterated the horrors of what I saw in excruciating detail. I lived every moment again in my head as somehow the voice seemed to tell the story more vividly than my own mind could replay. I paused for a moment after finishing the gruesome tale before asking if I wanted to know more. In hindsight, right at that moment, I should have taken it, tied it to the heaviest thing I could find, and then thrown it out into the ocean. But I didn't. No, I, I couldn't. Again, the intense feeling of morbid curiosity hit me like a wave. Fucked up as it was, I needed to know more. With no hesitation, I simply told it, Yes. That night it told me a story about how there would be something terrible found in my next door neighbor's apartment. 
similar to the last time, had spent hours telling me about the history behind this tragedy. There would often be nights of loud noises and weird smells coming from their home. Over the years, they'd gotten more than a few angry knocks at the doors and phone calls, but... Jesus, I would have called the fucking police if I knew that was really happening. Mere minutes after I was told what was going on, I booked a motel room. There was no way in hell I wanted to be around the chaos that was about to unfold. Lo and behold, the following day, I got about 15 text messages from friends, family, and my landlord asking about what had occurred. When I went to turn on the local news, I was met with footage of frozen and decomposing bodies being taken out of his apartment, accompanied by my neighbor in handcuffs. The old man had a dead look on his face, and tired, soulless eyes that stared through the crowd of people surrounding him. Though all the details wouldn't be made public for a while, I knew enough. At least five dead bodies. DNA matched that of some of the kids that had gone missing throughout the area. Morbidly enough, I remember him being a part of the search parties when they had initially gone missing. He made some social media posts about bringing them home, and yet... This whole fucking time, they were right there. The voice was right again. The scariest part was that I couldn't tell if it revealed the truth about these events or if it influenced them. Either way, I spent the next hour or so in a malaise. I emailed my professors about the day's events. Luckily, they understood why I needed to take more time away from class. After dealing with questions from police and the trauma of knowing what went down, school just couldn't be at the forefront of my mind. To this day, it, it bothers me. I just... I knew he was strange. I knew he was obnoxious and had a bit of a creepy vibe, but... Consuming children. In the apartment next to mine, no less. How does one process that? There were other parts of that story that I don't entirely feel comfortable sharing, but trust me, it was beyond evil what he did. I'm glad he got the death penalty for his crimes, but it doesn't erase what happened. It doesn't erase the fact that I slept peacefully while those tragedies took place. And it doesn't erase the fact that I knew maybe I could have done something to save someone. Perhaps I could have prevented it from happening to the first kid. Maybe. I don't know. The most life-changing revelation came about a month later. The voice had grown silent once more, and frankly, I didn't want it to ever speak again. The only reason I didn't get rid of the damn thing was that I was scared. I feared that if someone else found out, they would be drawn to it in the same way I would, and maybe, just maybe, it would start to whisper terrible things about me. Oddly enough, during that time, I used the damn thing. Every night, I made it a point to sleep on that pillow. Whether I slept on the couch or I had a girlfriend over, my priority was to make sure I could always hear the voice. I felt that if something else was going to happen, I needed to be the first to know. Unfortunately, as I anticipated, that day came. The day the voice spoke to me again. I got the worst news of all. It's interesting. 
You always assume that the things in your life that would elicit the deepest and darkest reactions are those of a nightmare. A hungry bear catches you in its sights. A masked man with a chainsaw breaking into your log cabin. A clown with a knife scratching at your front door. Maybe a demonic entity stalks while you're alone. But those things aren't based on reality. They're based on stories we hear or see on TV. And in all likelihood, the average person won't have to deal with an angry grizzly or a killer clown. No. The odds of those fantastical events happening to any of us are slim to none. At the same time, the things we should truly fear are much more likely. My dad called to tell me he had cancer. He'd been a longtime smoker and never wanted to really check up on his health. It was too late when he noticed real problems and went to the doctor for a checkup. It broke me. Not just because of the shock of the moment, and not because I didn't think someone like him could run into that problem at some point. I broke down because I knew the day before. I prayed to whatever bullshit god there is that the voice lied. I prayed that it was just an attempt to scare me, and that it had the wrong person. But deep down, I fucking knew. Just like the previous two times. Part of me wishes the news came as a surprise. I'd still be devastated. But to have that thing tell me? It made it that much worse. I was always close with my dad. Ever since my mom died when I was little, we held a special bond. Being his only kid, he gave me every ounce of love he had to offer and then some. We spent so much time together. Even after I left for college, I still talked with him all the time, and still, after just four short months, he was gone. I'm not gonna lie, I was suicidal. I drank a lot, I had meaningless sex with God knows who, and did everything else under the sun to forget. After what I had dealt with, I dropped out of school. I just couldn't function. My dad was my rock, the man I could talk to, laugh with, and rely on for support in any kind of way. And just like that, he was gone. Part of me questioned if it was my fault. Did I cause this by keeping the voice around? What if I'd just gotten rid of it like a normal fucking person? To this day, I still don't know the answer. But what I do know is that even at that point, I still couldn't get rid of it. If before I was only slightly concerned about what the voice would do while not in my possession, then now I was terrified. Following the death of my father, the voice grew bold. It spoke to me every night. It whispered horrible things about my dad, other people I knew, and complete strangers. It instructed me how to look into awful things about so many people, and it all turned out to be true. It consumed my life. While I'm being honest, the only reason I didn't end it all was because of a small part of me hoped I'd be free from it one day, that I could move past the voice and finally have my life back. 
at least until it started talking about me. At first, it told me things as small as when I'd get a bruise for stubbing my toe, cut myself on an open nail, or get sick. But things quickly got darker. From finding out my girlfriend of three years had been cheating to finding my new puppy dead on the floor, I could see this was leading to a terrifying end. Just as I predicted, the night I'd been dreading came all too soon. As I lay down to sleep, I was woken by the voice repeating my name. Without even acknowledging it, the voice laid out my death. A man was to break into my home, bash my head open with a rusty bat, drag my bloody, dazed body into my room, and then flay my chest and lungs open while pinning me against the wall with nails like a fucked up art display. There was no time frame given. All it would say was that it was happening soon. I stayed up all night staring blankly at my wall, waiting for death while the voice spoke at a volume louder than I could talk myself. Only about an hour from sunrise, a knock came at my door. I knew this was it. I stayed in my room while the knock turned into a pounding. The voice accompanied the pounding with hysterical laughter. Tears started streaming down my face, and I silently cried with the knowledge of what was to come as I heard an enormous force trying to barrel into the door. I contemplated calling the police, but I knew they wouldn't get here in time. This was how I was destined to go. Eventually, the door started to break from its hinges. Knowing it was only one or two good smashes from giving away, something snapped. I realized that if I was meant to die, that wretched voice wouldn't be allowed to live either. I quickly searched my room for my lighter and found one right as I heard the door break down, accompanied by a large man stumbling through. Quickly, I reached for the pillow, and it began screaming as soon as I touched it. The loud noise gave away my position, and I had to make a mad dash to lock my door and barricade it by flipping over a nearby bookcase. I could hear him fumbling for the doorknob, and then using his weight to attempt to smash his way through. I didn't have much time. I grabbed a half-empty vodka bottle next to my bed and poured it all over the pillow, then I lit a flame to the thing. Another scream erupted from deep inside. It was blood-curdling and ear-piercing. It sounded like a man in the worst kind of agony that one could ever experience. It didn't curse me or beg for its life as it burned. It only wailed in pain. I fell to the floor, my hands covering my ears, hoping and praying that it would all stop. The banging and the screaming kept coming in unison. I squeezed my eyes tight and screamed for everyone to shut up. Over and over, I just wanted it all to be over. Slowly, everything started to die down until... Silence. All that remained were the burned remnants of my pillow. I waited half an hour before checking the rest of my apartment, and to my relief, there was no one there. The sense of freedom that washed over me was unlike anything I'd ever experienced, and at that moment, I again broke down. I'm not as much of a crier as I'm making myself out to be, but given what I'd just gone through for more than half a year, everything just kind of came out. The police came by, but all I could really tell them was, I think someone tried to rob me, and that was the end of it. 
Despite the apparent damage and screaming, they can never find anything that led to an arrest. At the end of it all, the final step on this horrible adventure was rebuilding. I got a new dog, I've started to eat healthier, and I've taken up hiking and other activities outside to help clear my mind. Being around other people also helps. I still have my moments of darkness, but really forcing myself to get out there and talk to people has made a massive difference. And as a result of that, I may even have a potential relationship, but we'll see how that goes. After everything went down, I also moved apartments. I just felt it would be best to get away from that area if I was going to heal. I must have had spiritual cleansings done by over 10 different types of religions, along with my many other more minor spiritual rituals I found online. For a while, things worked great. Life returned to the best approximation of normal. But last night, I think I heard a voice coming from my walls. And it spoke of such awful things. Be 16. Be black and have family down in Alabama. They farm and own a huge amount of land down in Huntsville. My uncle owns a big house and a bunch of trailers they put out in the woods for hunting or camping. Down South Cousins suggest that we go out there to camp. No, I'm a city kid from Chicago, so they tease the fuck out of me. Collect wood, kill a pig, some chickens, bring necessities to camp out for a few days. We get to the camp and it's obvious something is weird. The air has this weird electric smell like right before a storm, like ozone. We think nothing of it and unpack. And go down a little creek to swim for a few hours. All of a sudden, some older white guy and a white teenager come out of the bushes. He has a shotgun in the crook of his arm and says hello. And asks us what we're doing this far back in the woods. I tell him about my uncle, who he knows, and say we're out camping. He tells us we need to be real careful out here and stick together. There was a big animal in the woods. His son, who's my age, asks if he can hang out with us. And he says okay. So we end up playing football. Digging around with me, there's the white kid, Tanner, five of my cousins, and then four of their friends. In total, there were five girls, six boys. We were all around 15 to 17. We ended up just digging the day away. So, we head back to the camp and pulling out some stuff for a campfire, even though the trailers both had kitchenettes. Tanner says that his family's property sits up against my uncle's. He wants to run home and ask his dad if he can come out camping with us. My cousin, Rooster, says he's going to go with him since it's going to get dark soon. One of the girls also wants to tag along. It's about 7 o'clock and it's starting to get pretty dark. They take flashlights and take the trail toward Tan's property. The rest of us chill. We make s'mores, drink, and kiss on the girls. About 30 or 40 minutes later, there's the smell of ozone again. You could smell it over the smell of the fire we'd started. This really nasty, coppery smell, like right after you've had a nosebleed. And it's stopped. It wasn't exactly like dried blood, but it was that nasty metallic back-of-your-throat smell. 
we immediately think that it's some kind of electrical malfunction or someone left a hot plate on or some shit. We search the trailers and nothing is on and we can all smell it. All of a sudden we hear people booking down the path towards us and Rooster, Tan, and the girl come running into the clearing out of breath. They don't even break stride. They all run into the trailer right by where the fire is. We all get the fuck out of there and into the trailers. They end up calming down. Even Rooster is crying his fucking eyes out at this point. All the while, the fire is getting lower and lower. So my other cousin says, fuck it, and we are about to go outside to get the generator out of a shed between the trailers. Tanner goes, fuck no. Lock the front door. Ain't nobody else going outside. He's been crying too. And his eyes are bloodshot and puffy, and his pants are dirty as shit. He goes on to tell us that they went up to his house. His father said, sure, he could go out camping, but to make sure they were careful on the way back, and that maybe they should take one of the hunting rifles just in case. Evidently, Tanner had seen something in their yard a few days before. One of their pigs had come up, ripped up, and half-eaten. They assumed it was just some big cats, coyotes, even though... They didn't usually fuck with live animals. He'd gone upstairs, packed his stuff, and told his dad they'd be okay without the rifle because coyotes avoid people. So they started walking back toward where we were camping. So, Rooster finally stops crying and shaking. The girl already had, but she was just staring out the window with a dumb look on her face. She says they'd gotten halfway into the woods toward the camp when they started to hear shit in the forest. It was almost pitch black by this time, so they weren't sure at first what the hell it was. The girl says that she heard something in the bushes right off the trail, and they all beamed their flashlights over there, and there was something standing back in the woods a little hollow. Rooster said they shouted at him and told him that he was scaring the fuck out of them and what a dick he was. He said that's when they realized that the guy was facing away from them. So they kept walking, and they start smelling that nasty, coppery ozone smell. They say that they look off into the forest on the opposite side, and it's a dude standing in the forest backwards, slightly closer to the path. So now they start power walking, and Tan keeps going, I should have taken the fucking rifle. As they're telling the story, the smell is still super strong, even inside the cabin. They say that after they started walking faster, a kind of low gibberish had started coming from both sides of the wood. And as they started booking it back to the trailer, the girl said she had flashed her flashlight out into the woods to one side of them and had seen something jerking itself through the woods. The gibbering just got louder and louder, and when they could see the lights from our campfire, something had come out of the woods about 40 yards behind them onto the track, and they just flat out ran as hard as they could to the trailer. So, we're out in the fucking woods, and we're assuming at this point that some rednecks or some shit's trying to fuck with us. All of a sudden, my other cousin, Junior, starts going on about how he went to school with a native kid that was telling him about the goat man or some shit. We probably tell him to shut the fuck up because we don't need any spooky talk right now. But he just keeps going on and on about how it's the fucking goat man and how we're in his woods and blah blah blah. Now, at the time, I'd never heard of this 
goat man or any of that. But then, a couple of years ago, the year before I graduated college, I had a minnum for a roommate, and I ended up asking him about it. And to sum it up, it's basically a fucking man with the head of a goat, and he can shapeshift, and he gets among groups of people to terrorize them. It's also supposed to be like the Wendigo, and it's bad mojo to even talk about it, even worse if you see it. Keep in mind, I didn't know this when I was 16, so my cousin's going, the goat man's going to get in and fucking get us. The girls are all terrified, and my cousins and I are all fucking trying to figure out if it's just some hillbillies or if it's some animal. So all of a sudden, the smell just goes away. Like, to this day, I haven't experienced anything like it. Like, usually smells fade away or lessen. It, it, it literally was just there one second, and then not the next. So, it's after an hour, making it around 9 or 10. We stopped shitting bricks enough to go back outside and stoke the fire again. We figure it was just some assholes trying to fuck with us, so we don't go back home because we think if we do, they'll chase us through the woods or some crazy shit. Nothing else weird happens that night, and we stay another night. And for the main part of the night, nothing happens. About one in the morning, we're outside getting drunk, telling ghost stories. As someone is finishing some spooky story I don't remember what about, the smell comes back. It's so fucking strong one of the girls literally starts vomiting. I stand up, and you can feel how clammy the air is. I say we should get inside, and this isn't right. We should have just fucking left. We all go back inside. We're standing around. My cousin just keeps going on about how it's the goat man, and my cousin Rooster tries to shut him the fuck up. All the while, I'm just feeling that something is wrong, and I can't figure out what the fuck it is. We end up sitting in there for a while. The smell is just as strong, and we're terrified and all huddled in this camper. We end up cooking brats for everybody because nobody wants to go outside. It's one of those packs with four brats. We have a total of three packs. I grill them up on the stove and give everybody a hot dog. I get mine. After a while, one of my cousins gets up and goes over to the pot to get another one. He starts grumbling about how I get two brats and everyone else got one, and I look at him like he's fucking stupid. I tell him that everybody only got one because there were only 12 brats, and if he wants more, he should open up a new pack and cook some more. That's when the girl that had been out with Rooster and Tan just starts screaming. Oh Jesus, oh Lord, get it out! She's crying, shivering, and then it dawns on the cousin standing up. What the fuck is wrong? Me and him both glance around the room, and then I feel my heart fucking sink. I run the fuck out of the cabin, and the girl runs out with us. The trailer door is banging against the side of the trailer as everybody books it out of the cabin. One of my cousin's friends... Ask us what the fuck is wrong. I start counting us. There's only eleven now. I shit you not, my cousin terrified. There had been twelve people in the cabin, but being that everybody didn't really know each other well, nobody had really noticed the whole fucking time that there was an extra person. And then I realized earlier that I had kind of noticed something was off. 
You know how when you're just dicking around and having a good time that you don't sweat the smallest shit and you don't always keep track of certain stuff? I am dead sure that someone else had been in that trailer with us and that they'd been there for at least a fucking day eating with us. What makes it worse is I could figure out which one because I don't think anyone ever actually interacted with the other person or, or the goat man. The girl kept praying to Jesus. And we're all sitting outside. Eventually, we get big-ass sticks and go into the cabin, but there's nobody there. We count again. Eleven people. We go back into the trailer and lock the door. We explain what the fuck happened, and the girl says that she realized it too, and that's when he was about to say something. The person sitting next to her grabbed her leg and leaned over toward her and said something she couldn't understand. So we're pretty much scared as fuck as we huddled together and I fall asleep. When I wake up, the sun is just coming up and half the people are asleep and the other half are packing our shit up. We all want to walk back home, but like four people want to stay until the sun is all the way up. And some people think that we're just fucking around and still want to stay at the trailers. I just want to get the fuck out of the woods. The girl's name was Kira, the one that the goat man touched. Anyway, I ask her if she really thinks it was something bad, and she says she just wants to go home and doesn't want to be out in the woods alone for another night. So we decide to split up. The four that want to go can go, but I have to stay because I have the keys to the cabin and it's my uncle's and I have to lock up. I'm super pissed at that point because I feel like people aren't taking this shit seriously and I definitely didn't want to be out in the woods for another night. I spent the rest of the day trying to convince the rest of the people, now four girls and four guys, to get the fuck out of Dodge. Tanner leaves with them and goes to get a rifle and says he's coming back. So there are just seven of us left by 4 p.m. Around 5 p.m., he hasn't made it back yet. We're getting extremely fucking antsy, and the only reason I stopped begging them to go back was because he went to go get a gun. It's about 5.30 p.m. or so, when the one cousin that did stay says that that girl, Kiera, is outside. We all look outside, and sure enough, she's standing by the fire pit with her back to the cabin. I'm thinking to myself, if she's so fucking scared, why the hell would she come back? And then I get this nasty feeling in my gut. Keep in mind, the whole time that coppery smell has been gone. Now I realize I can smell just a twinge of it. I say this to the rest of them and everybody, and these are the people that wanted to stay in the fucking woods after we heard the goddamn goat man in our midst is laughing at me and asking if I set this up to scare them. I look at them like I'm not fucking bullshitting you at all right now. I ask them why the fuck would I play like that? So, one of the girls goes outside to get Kara. She gets halfway, and she stops cold. Kara starts heaving. I don't know how the fuck to describe it. Sort of like someone with their back turned was laughing without actually making any sound. It was this fact that made me realize there was not a fucking sound in the whole woods. It was dead silent. This was like late September. 
so it was still fairly hot at the time, but it was super chilly some days too, and you could usually hear big-ass geese honking or some kind of birds or squirrels chit-chatting. So I step out of the door and tell her to come back in the fucking trailer right goddamn now. She backs up into the trailer, and we lock the fucking door. We pull down all the shades except one and put a guy there in a chair to watch her. She stands there for another 20 minutes or so. The guy turns to say that she's still there, and then there's a huge fucking bang on the door. We all jump the fuck up and scramble around the living room of the trailer. The banging is super fucking loud. So now my cousin is holding one of the girls, and the other two are kind of giggling with nervous laughter, and me and the other two guys are shitting bricks. Then we hear Tan. He's screaming. Let me the fuck in. Stop fucking playing. So we go over to the door and open it. He stumbles in with a rifle. There's no one else outside. Evidently, he walked up to the campsite. Nothing weird happened in the forest, but he had seen a girl. Mind you, he said it was not Kara standing there. When he'd gotten to the edge of the clearing, she had turned toward him with a slack-jaw look and just stared him down, slowly tracking him as he walked around the outside of the clearing towards the camp. He said it wasn't until he was almost halfway to the trailer he had realized that she was getting closer to him. She'd started off by the fire, and without him ever seeing her move, she'd been turning, inching closer. He said he just ran the rest of the way back to the cabin, thinking it would open, and when he got to the door and it was locked, he turned and it was about half the distance to the door. He looks around the room and then gets super pale. He pulls me to the side and whispers in my ear, You know there are only seven of us in here, right? I get that feeling when your stomach drops to your nuts. It had been back inside the trailer while we were sorting out who was going where, and then we all went outside to talk earlier in the day. It had just slipped right back in. We looked out the window, and there was nobody out there. So we recount everyone, and then basically I go over and ask how many people were here earlier. Everybody says eight. I say, well, how many are here now? They all do the count and realize that there are only seven people in the cabin. So Tan had brought back a couple of boxes of ammo and his rifle. He told us that his dad that there was some kind of animal in the forest because he didn't think his dad would believe him if he said it was a goat man. He says that his cousin is supposed to be coming down in a few hours and that in the morning we can all go back to his place and his cousin will drive us home. Now I'm really fucking terrified, but I at least feel better because we can be American and shoot the fuck out of whatever it is if it comes back. But then, my cousin gets into this huge argument with one of the girls because she thinks that I'm trying to be funny and prank them, and that she's getting really scared that I'm not funny. He keeps telling her that I'm not that kind of person, and she says, Well, how do we know that girl wasn't just Tanner in a wig? Or if it's really the goat man, how do we know that this is the real Tanner, and that goat man didn't just kill Tanner in the woods and take his gun? 
So we get into a huge fucking argument about this. Me and Tanner are like, we could seriously be in danger because at the very least, someone has been sneaking themselves into our fucking trailer without us knowing and mingling with us. And at worst, something bad is in the forest fucking with us. One of the girls is crying and saying she wants to go right now. And we're trying to tell her we shouldn't because none of us are walking through the woods in the middle of the night. At this point, the sun is starting to go down and it's getting a little cloudy out. We eat something and we turn on the radio for a while, but we can't really get a station out there with anything decent. So we turned it off about that time that Tan's cousin shows up. He was like 19, I think. At this point, the sun is just barely over the horizon and he has one of those heavy-duty lantern flashlights and another rifle. He walks up to the trailer and we whisper to Tan, asking if he's sure that's his cousin, and he says yes. The guy looks behind him and all around the camp, and then he walks in. He kind of glances at all of us and looks a little confused. He says, where's your other little buddy at? I figured she'd meet me up at the cabin. Is she a little slow or something? He also asked whether we'd been cooking blood in the cabin because it smelled like blood and hot pans all the way up the trail. We're all like, fucking nope, but we ask him what the fuck he's talking about with the girl he saw. He'd come down the same trail Tan had been using, and he'd come up on one of you guys' buddies standing in the middle of the trail looking at him slack-jawed. He asked her a bunch of questions, but all she did was look at him. And she smiled at him, and he said he kept walking. She couldn't seem to keep up with him and kept lagging a little behind. He said he even asked her if she was hurt or something and if she needed any help. She just continued to stare. Eventually, he'd been walking and turned around to bend in the trail. But when he turned around and went back to see if she was okay, the trail was empty. He'd assumed she'd taken some shortcut through the woods to our trailer. We tell him the whole story of what's been going on. I half expected him to say that we were full of shit, but he just listened and then sat down on the couches in the living room. Tanner's cousin gets back to the girl. He says, when she kept trying to lag behind him, it had kind of weirded him the fuck out. So he tried to keep her in front of him, but no matter how slow he walked, she was always lagging a little behind. That he smelled this nasty smell, and it got stronger as he got to the camp. Eventually, it got really strong. She had said something really low that he didn't catch, and when he had turned around, she'd been right the fuck up on him. He stepped back from her. It was at this point he asked her if she was okay, and if she wasn't, for him to carry her back the rest of the way, and she just kept staring. He said he reached out for her as in to grab her on the shoulder, but he must have misjudged the distance because she was off to the side where he put his hand, like she moved while he was looking dead at her. So at this point, we know this shit's real, unless Tan is playing a joke which we can tell he's not because he's almost pissing his pants. So they load up their rifles, we eat some more, and we just kind of sit around until 11. <sighs> to this fucking day, every time I think about this, I really pray to God that it's some huge prank that my cousins played on me and just never revealed so I would shit for the rest of my life. At around 11, 
stink of copper turns into an actual nasty, gross, blood-like smell, like cooking blood and singed hair. Tan and his cousin Reese get the fuck up and instantly grab the rifles. There's like a half-knocking, half-clawing at the door, and I shit you not, there's a voice, and it sounds like when you see those YouTube cats and dogs whose owners teach them how to talk. It says in this halting, weirdly-toned voice, Let me the fuck in. Stop fucking playing. It made my fucking nuts creep up against my body, and one of the girls just starts crying and calling on Jesus. It was so fucking obviously not a person talking. It didn't have the right cadence. And that's some shit I never realized up until that moment. But all people have a certain cadence when they talk, no matter what language. All people have a certain kind of rhythm to talking. This shit didn't have any kind of cadence or rhythm. One of those YouTube cats, that's what the fuck it sounded like outside the door. So now I'm in full-on terror mode. We keep yelling outside, who is it? Stop fucking around, man. And it just keeps saying in or let me the fuck in for almost 15 minutes. So then the smell goes away for a while. And for the next hour or so, you can hear someone basically creeping around in the woods and shit. Every couple of minutes, it'll come back to the door and say something. Finally, when the smell fades away, it's around 2 in the morning now. Reese says, man, fuck this, and opens the door and walks out with his rifle. He fires a shot into the air and says something to the effect of, in the name of Jesus Christ, go away. He fires off two more times, and then from the woods, right up against the river across from the trailer, it sounds like something is slowly gibbering and hooting. And then it starts screaming, and it sounds almost like a woman and a cat in a bag screaming together. Like seriously, I have never heard any shit like that, and you can hear the brush over that way start to shake. Reese fires off into the tree line and then starts backing into the house. We lock the door and we can hear the shit keening and screaming. Reese says something had come out of the bushes, super low to the ground, and crawling toward the cabin. He'd shot at it. Pretty much that was how the first night went. It was literally screaming constantly for the next two hours, and we could hear shit moving out into the tree line. But it never came back up into the cabin until everyone had finally fallen asleep. Tan had been sitting in the chair, watching the door with his rifle. Nobody else heard or saw this, and he told me two days later after the whole thing was over. He said he'd been nodding off after the screaming and noises finally stopped, and that he'd almost been asleep when he saw someone come out of the bathroom and then lay down in the middle of the floor and just go to sleep. He just assumed it was one of us, and he'd nodded off. And then he said he kind of realized something was wrong, and while pretending to be sleeping, he counted us. There were nine people in that cabin. He basically didn't want to try and shoot the fucking thing in the cabin and have it kill us then and there, or have Reese wake up and start shooting and then we kill ourselves, so he just stayed awake all night pretending to be asleep. He 
face that sometimes it would stand up and kind of do this weird jittery thing or heave like it was laughing, but then it would lay back down. The story closes pretty weak because from my perspective, nothing happened. We woke up and I noticed that Tan was a little jittery and that he was avoiding looking at all of us. We ate some breakfast, packed up and started walking to his house. He stayed last in the cabin and said he'd lock up and bring my uncle's keys to just start walking and he'd catch up, which I didn't really want to fucking do. We got a little bit up the path and when he came running up, basically we jogged back to his house. His cousin took us home. There was a window in that bathroom. Tan had gone back to lock up and looked in there. We were too stupid to lock a screenless window. The window was fucking up when he went in there. I'm guessing it had been doing that all along, waiting for us to fall asleep or slip up and then getting in among us. It walked with us all the goddamn way back to his house, and then he said it lagged to the back of the group and looked him dead in the eyes before walking off into the woods. Just want to give a quick thank you to all my $5 patrons. Absent Alice, Alice E, Amethyst, Demet, Caroline, Christina Smith, CT, Deborah Tychus, Elizabeth Watkins, LSG, Furious Weasel, If in Doubt, Flat Out, Justinia Zaromsky, Karen Parrott, Kat Lee Riggs, Lindsay Pruitt, Melody Evans, Melissa Berwick, Nicholas Moore, Nikki Parsons, Nova Nocturne, Ray Clegg, Centennial, The New Ongdome, 24, Tiger Princess, Triumph, and Victoria Step. Thank you all for the continued support. I really appreciate it.